<clears throat> All right. Well, those of you who have been uh, involved with the church um, over the last few years um, will be aware that of the, the problems that um, we've been facing as a church, that the difficulties and troubles and the pain that has um, been suffered um, on uh, a lot of people. Um, and uh, and there's been um, quite a lot of difficulty and, and disagreement um, within the church regarding uh, how the leadership of the church um, and the, the lay members uh, relate to one another, what the, what the, the relationship is and the roles um, of leadership in the church. Um, and as uh, we continue through our studies in, uh, in, our, in the book of 1 Thessalonians um, this week, we're going to um, look today at a passage um, that deals with this uh, issue um, quite specifically. Our passage this morning is, is 1 Thessalonians 5. 12 to 15, um, and it really deals with this issue of, of leadership and, and how the church relates to one another. This passage is, uh, as I've entitled my sermon, it's a plea for purposeful unity. Um, it, it shows us a picture of the church uh, doing everything that it's supposed to do, all the, all the glorious, uh, wonderful working together um, that the church we can uh, we can achieve as a church uh, unified for a uh, for God's purpose God like a like a master engineer um, has has constructed an, an, an intricate mechanism uh, the church is is like an intricate mechanism like the workings of a of a clock or a, a gearbox um, which works out his purposes here on earth He's, he's chosen the parts that make up this mechanism, he's, he's, the people in the church, that is. Um, he's put them together uh, in a way that, um, that, that we can uh, come together and work together. And he has a specific purpose that he's looking for the church to act out. Um, and here in this passage, Paul gives us a, a look at what um, that is, what the, what the parts are, uh, what the the, how they put together and uh, what the purpose is uh, for the church. He, he encourages us to strive to be the parts that God has designed us to be, to, to come together seamlessly um, and to work as God intended us to work. Um, and, and as we've struggled as a church for such a long time now, um, uh, for, for the last few years, I pray um, that this would be a... a wonderful vision um, for us of how we can uh, move forward and, and work together as a, a unified um, and, uh, and God-glorifying church. May this be our desire and prayer, um, just as it was Paul's here in First Thessalonians. So please open um, in your Bibles to First Thessalonians 5. Uh, I'm going to read verses 12 to 24. Um, we're, we're only going down to verse 15 today, um, but I think reading to verse 24 will give us an idea of all that's uh, going on in this section of the book. So 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse, 15, in verse 12. <clears throat> now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. 
Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for one another and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Father God, we come before you as we open your word this morning. Uh, we know, uh, Lord, that uh, what you've put down is for our benefit. Um, and we uh, uh, we come, uh, Lord, to, to hear your perfect wisdom. Uh, Lord, we know as this passage says that you are faithful, that you will sanctify us through and through, that you will perfect us on the last day when Jesus returns. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray. Um, especially in, as we deal with this passage, which uh, which which um, touches so much on on what has uh, uh, troubled our church of late, uh, Lord, I pray that we would listen to your wisdom. Uh, Lord, that we would learn from you, that we would uh, be encouraged and built up to uh, serve you better in this place. God, please work through your Spirit uh, in our hearts, in our church. Uh, may you use this portion of scripture to, to convict us and heal us and guide us forward, Lord, uh, into unity and the knowledge and likeness of your Son, uh, in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> uh, let's start by looking uh, firstly at the parts that God has designed for the church. That's point number one, the parts. In verses 12 and 13, Paul gives us uh, a reminder that there is a God-ordained uh, structure to the church. Um, it, it says in the ESV um, that there are some who are over you in the Lord. Some people in the church are, are leaders and have authority over the rest. That's the way God designed it. Um, and and uh, God has put them there and they lead with Christ's authority. <clears throat> Um, here at the MCC, the elders, Dave, Dave, Chris and Greg, um, work together to lead this church. Uh, and as leaders, Paul has here a series of expectations for them. <clears throat> um, so elders, uh, Paul expects you to work hard among the church, uh, the, the brothers and sisters in this church. Care for them uh, and admonish them. Uh, that is, elders, you are called by God to serve the members of this church, giving of yourselves, working hard for others' sake. You are called to disciple and teach the members of this church, uh, specifically caring for, uh, uh, spiritually caring for, and overseeing the growth of the people uh, here. Uh, and, and where necessary, you are to admonish, uh, warn, or, or in the worst cases, discipline even. 
are the members of this church in cases of unrepentant sin. This is a high calling. I mean, I know it's one that, that the elders don't take lightly. Because God will call them to a high standard of accountability as they are stewards of his authority. Uh, but conversely, Paul says, since they are stewards of Christ's authority, uh, the rest of us uh, need to, to humbly acknowledge uh, that authority. Uh, verse 12 there in the, in the NIV calls us to acknowledge them. Uh, this has the idea of, of recognizing and, and listening to their authority. <clears throat> uh, my sister-in-law has a um, has a dog, a one or not quite one-year-old um, blue healer pup, um, and our dog is a, a, a little crotchety old Chihuahua. And 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 to be honest, the two dogs, of course, don't get along at all. Um, they they disagree about pretty much anything. <clears throat> and really, if if these disagreements came to a fight, of course, our, our three kilo little arthritic chihuahua is is never going to stand a chance uh, against a fit cattle dog five times his size. But our dog, by virtue of his age, is the leader of the pack, and so the pup always defers to his authority. Um, and and in the same way, we have. Uh, leaders here at the church. God has designated the leaders of this church um, and we uh, ought to submit to them, to defer to that authority. Uh, look with me also at verse 13. Paul says, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Um, but that, see, that acknowledgement of their leadership uh, flows out of respect and love. Submission in the church doesn't happen by force. It's, it's not a matter of compulsion. Rather, it's something that naturally flows out of how much we respect them as people. <clears throat> it's done in love, seeking their good. Um, and so I encourage you, um, not just not to, to, to submit to them begrudgingly, but to um, practically and, and actively love the leaders of this church. Pray for them. Provide for their needs. <clears throat> what a wonderful church uh, this will be when we, when we all work together in this way, loving and, and uh, respecting and, and doing the best for each other. Uh, that's the way that God has designed it in his wisdom. Uh, for the lay leaders and the, and the lay people to work together. <clears throat> um, and of course, not in, not in any way that, that um, implies inequality in the church. No, we, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Each of us is called to use our gifts to serve the church in a different way. Not in a, in a lesser or a greater way. A, 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 as in a, a higher or a lower way, but all in an equal way, but different. <clears throat> um, and nor am I saying here that, that we should sit back uh, if we have immoral or, or, or anti-gospel leaders. That's, that's not what this passage is saying at all. 
Uh, the Bible is clear that we should all seek to purify the church from, from all corruption, including corrupt leadership. And, and nor is this a call to refrain from ministry, as, as if lay people should uh, be afraid to make any comments or, or, or do anything in the church about, uh, bring, about bringing the gospel or, or um, spreading the, the news around the place. Um, no, in a few minutes, we're going to talk um, a bit later about how the work of ministry is, is something that we all can do, that we should all uh, be aspiring to be a part of. <clears throat> Acknowledging their leadership, listening to them, respecting them, loving our leaders, it doesn't mean any of those things. But please, please hear this with the, the grace um, of the Lord Jesus. I don't think our church is prone to those pitfalls, but I think we need to be careful to acknowledge the leaders that God has ordained um, and to reflect the roles that God has put in this church. <clears throat> and, and I encourage you again, God has constructed this church in his wisdom. The, the church will be at its best. Uh, when those who are leaders act as leaders and those, those who are not, uh, do not. As we trust God in his wisdom, we can submit to the authorities uh, he has raised up. We can, uh, we can listen to them. We can uh, res respect the, the wisdom that he has put into constructing this church. And thus, we will be able to work together joyfully and seamlessly. Which brings us to point number two, the putting together of the church. <clears throat> uh, this point comes from the rest of verse 13. It says, live in peace with one another or with each other. What does it mean to live in peace? Well, peace is uh, it, another way of describing it is harmony. Um, it's, it's working together without fighting. Um, indeed, peace is, is really the opposite of fighting. Um, free our own way. Um, you can Im imagine bringing two spinning gears together so that they engage each other cleanly. But it's not easy, is it? You, maybe you've, you've tried changing gears without a clutch. Bringing gears together while they're spinning can be quite difficult. And in the same way, coming together without fighting can be difficult sometimes. We're all like gears spinning at different speeds. We all have, have our own uh, ideas about how things should be done. And, and often we have good ideas, all of us. Uh, we, we have our own goals, our own aspirations. Um, and sometimes trying to intermesh those is really hard. <clears throat> but we have, as it were, the clutch of the mind of Christ. Um, it says in, in Philippians 2 uh, that G uh, Jesus' mind uh, disengages our own ideas and goals so that we can intermesh with the ideas and goals of others. And, and this is the mind of Christ, says Paul, uh, because who else would, would give up uh, the glory and blessedness 
of the throne of all the universe. Jesus alone would trade all of that for the life of a nobody, of a slave, capping it all off with the death of a traitor. And an unjust death at that. Who else would do all of that, not for what he would get out of it, no, but for what we would get out of it? Only Christ would do that. Only Christ. And so we need the mind of Christ uh, to come together in peace. In him, we have peace with God. In him, we have peace with each other. He gave up every right. Rights that we could never even dream of. So that we could have peace with him and with each other. We must follow him, trading our mindset for his. And in so doing, we will have peace. We will be able to give up our rights for the sake of others so that we can have peace and come together like those, those spinning gears. We're able to, to give um, and and intermesh with the others in this church. Uh, what a wonderful goal that will be when we all uh, come together in uh, in peace and, and in unity and, um, and enjoy um, giving of ourselves um, so that others will be better off. But as wonderful as that will be, Paul, Paul doesn't even call us to, to peace for its own sake. As wonderful, as noble a goal as peace is, Paul has something even better in mind as the purpose. And so this is point number three, the purpose. God has a purpose, um, something that we must work together towards. Uh, look there in verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. The purpose of the church, Paul says, is to train each other in doing good. In, in, in how to live like Jesus. Because... It's not easy to to do that. It's it's not easy to to do the right thing to to live like Jesus to uh, to do what is good, especially when we're told by those around us to do the wrong thing, especially when we're wronged uh, by those around us, especially uh, when we are young in the faith. We we need training. We need help to grow in doing the right thing. We need to help others, train others in doing what is right and good. Uh, as Jesus said when he sent out his disciples, his, his apostles after the resurrection, he told them to go and make disciples. That's the purpose of the church, making disciples, growing up Christians. If the, if the church is like a mechanism, right, 
then it is a, you, you might ask, what sort of mechanism is it? Well, if the church is a mechanism, then the church is a disciple-making machine. Discipling uh, uh, means mentoring people instead, um, helping them grow in their, in their love of God. Um, as Christians, of course, we are called to, to love and, and trust and live like Jesus, to love Jesus, trust Jesus, and live like Jesus. Um, that, is a, that is a wonderful thing, uh, because that is what God has designed people for since, since the beginning of the world. Since even before the beginning of the world, God has, has ordained, designed people uh, to be people who live like Jesus. Jesus is the, the perfect um, son of God, the perfect man. Um, and we should aspire to live like him. Uh, we should love him because that is uh, the highest joy that we can experience um, as human beings. Jesus died so that we would be able to come to God, to love him, to worship him. That is our highest goal as human beings. And so it is only right that as a church, that should be our highest goal for people. Um, and so we are are called to teach them uh, and, and train them so that they love Jesus more, so that they trust him more, so that they live like him more and more. Um, discipleship can, can look like many things. It could uh, be meeting up with one-on-one -on -one with another Christian regularly. Um, it could be uh, uh, helping non-Christians put their trust in Jesus for the very first time. It, it could be uh, about raising up Christian kids. Um, it could be um, even something that you do just, just in a quick day-to-day -day conversation. Each time you teach someone to, to, to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, to put their trust in Him, that is discipleship. That's, that's making disciples. <clears throat> and so in, in many ways, discipleship could be seen as like, the, the, the basal metabolism of the church. Um, that's a, a scientific term we use to talk about everything that happens in your body to make sure it keeps on working. Everything that's, that's always happening in your body um, to keep everything going, to keep the lights on. Uh, whether you're awake or asleep, whether you're active or not, uh, each cell in your body is, is still doing something to try and stay alive. Um, and basal metabolism is, is what we call that. It keeps happening in the background, no matter what you're doing as a Christian, or as a, as a human being. Um, and as in the church, the body of the church, discipleship is the basal metabolism. Now, at the moment, of course, we don't have Sunday mornings. Um, and we have Zoom midweek Bible studies, which are, are for some of us, very difficult. Um, and while I don't want to, to, to denigrate either of those things, um, or any of the other ministries that the, the, any, any of the other things that we might do as a church in the background, 
discipleship should still be going. The continued life and growth of the church happens uh, in the in the the, the background um, in this this continued life uh, in one-on-one discipleship and, uh, and the conversations that teach people to trust Jesus. And, and so my challenge to you is this, this week. Use your relationships, your friendships, uh, your respect from those who look up to you. Use all of that to help people grow in their faith. Uh, <clears throat> be proactive about discipleship. Um, see, what a, what a wonderful, healthy, growing church we will be um, if each of us is in discipleship relationships. Uh, what a great goal that would be if each of us is growing um, because we have the mentorship and the, and the aid of, uh, of our brothers and sisters constantly in, in the day-to-day, uh, even when there might not be church happening on a Sunday morning, uh, even when you might not be able to make it to Bible studies or, or to um, anything like that, you, if you can uh, still be growing in the faith because you have those relationships, those intermitted relationships. <clears throat> so, so again, I challenge you, um, if you're not already, to start discipling someone else. Indeed, make that a priority um, as far as ministry in the church goes. See, if discipleship is the, 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 the purpose of the church, if it's the, the background uh, metabolism of the church, then it is uh, of primary importance. Then, then all the other ministries of the church should work to support that. And so we should each individually make it a priority to be discipling someone else um, and be a disciple too. None of us uh, is above learning something. Uh, we can all learn from each other. Um, so be proactive about, about being discipled. Uh, be proactive about discipling someone else. If you are a Christian, you have something to teach someone else. If you are, if you as a Christian trust Jesus, which that's that's what it means to be a Christian, is that to trust Jesus. If you as a Christian trust Jesus, you can help someone else trust Him too. If you as a Christian love Jesus, which again, all Christians by definition love Jesus, then you can teach someone so they should love him too. If you as a Christian seek to live like Jesus, you can help others as they try to do the same. Teach others what you yourself are learning. Uh, Now in verse 14 we see a couple of practical instructions uh, for how to do discipleship well. So let's just run through those. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, Paul says, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak. 
Uh, when discipling someone, it's, it's important for us to think through what will be most beneficial to them. And you need to think about what you say uh, and how you say it so that it builds the person up that you are speaking to. Some people need to be warned. Some need to be encouraged. Some need help. The idle and disruptive, these are people who either don't know or don't care that what they are doing habitually is wrong. Um, we, maybe I'll give an example like, uh, like Ed, um, who gets drunk with his mates each, each Saturday, um, but comes to church the next morning and, and thinks nothing of it. People need make a habit of sinful behaviour and they need to be stopped and warned. Uh, and convicted with the commands and warnings of Scripture. You might say, Ed, mate, do you realize that God tells us not to get drunk? In, in Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, see, when you get drunk, you lose all control, Ed. You're not going to be uh, listening to the Holy Spirit in that moment, um, and so you're not going to be a good Christian witness, are you? You're just being a fool like the rest of them. Uh, the disheartened um, are burdened by the weight of sin or circumstances. Uh, maybe uh, uh, Helen struggles to share the gospel with at work uh, because of all the flack she receives, all the friends she loses when she mentions Jesus. These people find it difficult to go on as Christians. They need to be encouraged with the promises of Scripture. Helen, here's what Jesus has to say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. These are encouraging promises for someone who is disheartened. Uh, what about the weak? The weak don't have uh, the practical wisdom, the tools they need to live as a Christian. Um, uh, Josh uh, knows the porn is wrong, uh, but he doesn't. He just doesn't know how to practically stop himself when he gets aroused. These people struggle to do what is right, and and they need to be supported. They need practical help and advice from the wisdom of Scripture, from experience. You might say, hey Josh, here's some things you can do. Uh, put a Bible verse on your box screen um, that might help you remember the right thing to do. Uh, like 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Leave your phone in a different room when you go to bed. When you're going to sleep, pray that God would protect you. Uh, from these temptations, I'll, I'll even keep you accountable as you try and put these into practice. These are practical helps for someone who is weak. In, in this way, we need to mentor people from the scriptures in a way that is appropriate and beneficial to their needs. This is, this is what it means to apply the Bible to everyday life. Um, in the rest of verse 14, Paul says that discipleship needs to be patient. Be patient with everyone. Change almost never happens overnight. I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, I firmly believe 
Right, don't get me wrong. I firmly believe that the gospel changes people. The Holy Spirit is powerful, works powerfully within us, and sometimes we see the change that the gospel is making in people so quickly, so starkly, um, and especially that's the case when we're dealing with people who have only just become a Christian. But most of the time, change is slow and incremental and really, really frustrating. Uh, whether we're talking about change in ourselves or others, it, it almost pretty much never happens as quickly as we'd like. So, Paul says, we need to be patient. We need to trust that God knows what he's doing. Trust that he is working behind the scenes. Endeavour to give people the benefit of the doubt. James says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, you can't make anyone more righteous by being angry. But by patiently admonishing them if they're idle, encouraging them if they're disheartened, helping them if they're weak, this is how you can help people grow in righteousness. This is how you can help people be built up in their faith, grow as Christians, love Jesus more. As we do that, as we work together in that, we will achieve God's purpose for the church. Now we've spoken today a lot about God's design and desire for the church, how, how we fit in, how we work together, how uh, the goal that we should aim for. But let me just remind all of us, at the end of the day, we are following Jesus in his work. He will build his church. He works in us to grow us. He will perfect us at the end. In terms of the parts, Jesus died to buy these parts for the church. He rose again to mold us into the parts that he designed. In terms of the putting together, Jesus gave us his spirit to bring us together, to bind us together. He himself is our peace. In terms of the purpose, again, it's Jesus' purpose. He sovereignly rules. He works out his purpose in his church. He patiently teaches us in righteousness. It is his purpose, his work, his church. And we are called to follow him as he grows us, as he grows Christians in Mafra or wherever we are. So let's join together, let's work together here in Mafra, following Jesus in the work of building up his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, uh, what a wonderful vision it is um, to see. Uh, this, this goal of the church working together for your purpose to achieve uh, the goal of building our Christians into the likeness of your son, of making disciples who love you uh, and who worship you and who find joy uh, in being with you. Uh, Lord, thank you that, that you've put us on this church for this purpose um, and that you've uh, given us your spirit 
who helps us uh, to, to achieve this, that you've given us your son who leads us in this work. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would follow him, uh, that you would help us to grow together uh, and that we would uh, uh, grow into one unified body, one, one intricate mechanism that works um, so seamlessly um, and, and like a well-oiled machine. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, put this work uh, in our hearts um, and grow us up into it. In Christ's name, amen.